0: Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the How Not to Be a Youth Pastor podcast. Probably the ministry podcast out there with the best intro music. For sure, not the podcast out there with the two best looking hosts. But we do what we can with what we got, right, Derek? Uh, I've been telling myself that for 27 years. (laughs) That is absolutely true. Uh, we learn every day how not to be youth pastors. Yep. We don't learn. We have yet to figure out how to just magically yep. make ourselves look better. Look better. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we we work with what we Shout got. Shout out to our wives for putting up with what we have.
1: Not only our personality and our mannerisms, <laughs> but our appearances. It can't be easy. No, I know it's not. I know it's not. My yeah. wife married me for my money.
0: Well, joke's on her because you're in ministry. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I joke about the exact same thing with my wife, but Sorry. we're in ministry. So, what are you going to do? We
1: have a lot of eternal treasure waiting for us.
0: I sure hope so because yeah. it's not here. <laughs> <laughs> what did we just talk about last episode? Was it tithing? Dithing, yeah, <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> yeah, it sounds about right. Done uh, deal. Yeah. Wow. Awkward pauses. We're good at I that. I was waiting for you to ask a quick question.
1: Oh, you want me to ask it? That's <laughs> yeah, fine. Okay, it's your question. Done deal. All right, Kyle. I know this happened to you a lot. Yep. When you were bored in a college classroom. Yep. And the professor's going on about
0: God knows what. Mm-hmm. What did you do or what did you use to occupy your time? So first of all, I went to a Christian university. So typically the professor was going on about God. Yep. Uh... <laughs> Don't, that, don't even tell me for a second you didn't. That do you, doesn't mean <laughs> I paid attention the whole time. Uh, there was one specific class uh, called Church History. Yep. Uh, where I... Um, I mean, it was... The, the class covered Church History. Uh, like, a lot of it was about the Reformation. Martin Luther. Yep. 95 Theses, all that stuff. Yep. The problem is that I went to a Catholic grade school and a Catholic (laughs) high school. And so we had studied, like I had already, I knew all of this stuff and I had spent time studying all this stuff. So I was really bored. So this was, uh, I don't remember if this was like in the days where AirPods and other completely wireless headphones were uh, the norm, but It definitely was in the days before your boy could afford them. Yep. And so what I would do is, you know, sit in the back, obviously. Throw on a hoodie. You did not. You snake. Yep. Through the the sleeve. snake your headphones through the sleeve. And you watch The Office while you're in class. Uh, That, uh... That was the magic formula. Um, I'm impressed. Definitely spent plenty of days in class watching various uh, I, episodes of shows. I could not do that
1: because I'd start laughing in the middle of class, <laughs>
0: Especially <laughs> if it was the office.
1: Yeah, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. What about you, Derek? Well, I flirted with my wife at the time. Uh, That's fair. That was kind of my thing. We'd write notes back and forth uh, very often. Um, (laughs) My personal favorite was one of my best friends, Jake. Um, He would play line rider in the the back of the classroom. So I'm just sitting there, and he'd sit there and make his track. And if you're familiar with line rider, you send the guy on the sled down the line to create, and then he'd crash, and... It was just the funniest thing to me that he was like using line rider in the middle of class. So
0: Yep, that would do it. Yeah,
1: but to be fair, I was also kind of a, a more studious student, so I usually sat more towards What are you trying to say? That you weren't?
0: Hmm. Am I wrong? I don't remember what my <laughs> college GPA was. Started with a three. That's well all done. I care about. Yeah. Actually, I had to. Uh, I was just talking about this with somebody the other day. I had two scholarships. One, like, from the school that, like, okay, this is not what this episode is about, but, but college scholarships college scholarships are the dumbest thing ever because, like, most colleges, if you are breathing, they will give you a scholarship. Like, they have, like, a very minimal baseline scholarship they give to just about everybody. Mm-hmm. And then your academic proficiencies can earn you higher scholarships from there in my opinion that's the dumbest thing in the world yeah just make your tuition cheaper and get rid of that bottom level baseline scholarship that you give to basically everybody love it uh but that's beside the beside the point i so i had a, a scholarship from from the school i also had a scholarship from like the where my dad worked uh they you know had scholarships for employees kids uh and and The school one, I had to keep my GPA above, I think it was like no, sing or it was like my whole GPA has to be like above a 3.5 or something like that. And then for my dad's scholarship or for through his employer, a no single semester could be below a 3.0. And so it was Mm -hmm. like a math game. Interesting. Trying you know, like no single semester can be below this point, but then my cumulative has to stay above this point.
1: And so you put the effort into that instead of the effort into I
0: <laughs> I will admit that there came a point in my studies where especially for what my like I'm not studying to be a heart surgeon. I'm studying youth ministry mm-hmm. and practical experience is important. And so like I was spending time volunteering in a youth ministry Yep. and if the decision had to be made, either I go help out with this youth event or I write this paper, Yep. if I can do the math and say, I can get a B instead of an A in this class by not writing this paper and still be fine on track to keep all my scholarships and graduate, Yep. and go that ahead. means I get to go to this youth event and help out, I would do that. So yes, there was a little bit of gamesmanship in trying to figure out Understandable. what grades I need to get in order to keep all my scholarships, but then balance that with getting some real-world experience. Well
1: done. I'm impressed.
0: That's what I put my effort to into at that and watching The Office instead of actually paying attention. Yeah, smart. Days. I mean,
1: you got you got to be well-rounded and balanced, right? Yep. That's kind of how it rolls. That's important. In a similar vein, that's what we want to talk about today on uh, our episode is what do you do when you're a youth pastor and you put a lot of your time into preparing a great sermon, picking out a great game, you got the right lights, you got the right worship. It's just, it's a great service. And while you're doing that in the middle of your message, you see uh, a line of students in the back row who are... You know, tickling each other, playing Clash of Clans, you know, snapping people back and forth, talking extremely loud, really doing everything other than paying attention to the youth pastor. What do you do about that? Because I don't want to speak out of turn. I've been out of the youth ministry game for a little bit here, but I don't know of a single youth ministry that doesn't have a few of those. Is that fair to say?
0: Uh, Yes, I am very familiar with the student you are describing. Uh, I, like most youth pastors, have probably been through a season where you're convinced every single student in your youth ministry is like that kid. Yep. Uh, And it can be incredibly annoying and frustrating. That's an understatement. Yep, it is. It's
1: a massive understatement.
0: (laughs) So... Let's talk about what you do with
1: that because here's what usually happens. I'm going to go out on a limb here. You have said student. We should come up with a metaphorical
0: name. I've come well, up with can, the last, last name. time. It was Jake. Jake. Do you want to keep using it? Well, he graduated. Yeah. Uh, and he a- very quickly. He went from seventh grade to graduating and getting a full-time job a- in a- one episode. Yep. And Abe is now at NCU. He's yep. getting his
1: youth ministry degree. So we need a new student. How about
0: Courtney? Court? Yeah.
1: I like that. We'll
0: go with Courtney. Yep. The troublesome youth student. So Courtney <laughs> Courtney was invited by do, a Do you have any Courtneys in your youth ministry no, right now? I okay. Don't. I don't think I do either, so we're
1: safe. Courtney came with a friend of a friend and she brought some friends and they are very new to your youth ministry. And so as such, like not a big deal during the game and everything, but when that message does start, it is an absolute circus back there. So here's a few things that you likely have done with Courtney, the troublesome youth child. Courtney, if you're out there, we love you. What you've probably done is you've had a leader go up and talk to them, you know, probably gently and delicately like, hey, shh, us quiet down, that kind of thing. Um, But you've had a leader go over there and talk to them. Odds are you've also had some fellow students do the, very helpful, very non-distracting, very subtle.
0: Shh. Like that that never helps, does it? I don't know if I- <laughs> So real quick, I had a student that uh um she was uh I I don't remember exactly what it was. She had an element of uh, you know, some sort of like ADHD or or something yeah. that uh, you know she she had, and uh, she she was one of the more disruptive students. Sure, uh, regular, not necessarily because she wanted to, but because she was so prone to restlessness. Well, she also found it very triggering when, like, like the sound. Sh- Is very triggering for her. Interesting. And I was like, "What do you want me to do?" Right. (laughs) Like I need, like I now I have to find alternative ways to ask you to be quiet because, like, I'm not allowed to shush you in the. No, I prefer you say, "Hey, shut up." Way to well. (laughs) That would that feels like it would be more counterproductive than productive, but. Uh, yeah, it was, it was weird. And I, and I was like, I feel like it, are you actually triggered by this or is this a situation where you're saying this to try to trigger you just allow yourself more room to be disruptive? Right. (laughs) But it made me laugh.
1: That's an interesting, I've, I've not heard that one before. That's unique. But no, usually I, I should I should backtrack. Usually, that's what happens first. Usually, there are some other students in your youth ministry that will jump on this bandwagon and, and try to corral the situation. And sometimes it corrects itself. You know, Courtney and her friends continue to be disruptive. So, if you have some good, solid leaders, odds are they did go up to them and say, "Hey, let's let's try and quiet down, being very respectful, very." pretty chill. Um, you know, maybe you've even said something to them beforehand, like, Hey, let's, not go crazy. But then I would say you have your more drastic measures and <laughs> I'm sure we could share some stories here, but there comes a point where one of two things usually happens. Number one is you ignore them entirely and try and continue as best as you can, knowing full well, it is like incredibly distracting incredibly disruptive or you get to this point where you call them out from the pulpit. Have you ever had that before?
0: Uh, One of my first memories in youth ministry as a kid was getting called out. Oh, nice. Uh, From which if you know me, that's right in line with uh, what what you would expect. Yeah. Uh, But no, yes, I have absolutely uh, done that. Um, It's super uncomfortable. Yep. Uh, for everyone in the room. Yep. But more often than not, it is also beneficial. Yeah. It almost always stops the situation from happening
1: and you can recollect things. The problem is you lost a lot of momentum.
0: Oh, yes. You know, it, and- it has to, like, it it is one of the more last resort things yep and uh you do have to do a cost benefit analysis yep like i am 100% about to lose a ton of momentum but if i regain the room in the process that yeah. that's
1: worth it well and it, it's tough too cuz uh what i've always wrestled with is as much as it was out of balance for them to be disruptive you also don't want to scare people away. You also don't want them to feel yeah. ostracized and, you know, publicly guilt ridden. Like, hey, the whole room is now looking at you because you're a problem. Um, you know, that's. I I would always have this. I've done this a few times where I've you know called them out and you know the rest of the message I kind of have this internal dialogue with myself like oh should you have done that you know like i don't i don't want courtney to feel like i hate her and now right. i don't like her and there's then you wrestle with it like that and so you know i'm sure we we can all empathize if you've been in youth ministry for any amount of time odds are you have experienced this this disruptive student this problem with communication or whatever and you kind of grapple with, you know, how do I handle this? And so what we want to talk about today is what do you do with these metaphorical kids in the back, these kids who uh, naturally have a tendency to, you know, be distracting and and have these issues come up. And there's a few things you can do. We want to dialogue with them, but then we kind of want to end as well with, is there a, a new structure entirely that would eradicate some of this and kind of get into that? So, Kyle, let's say you're Courtney and, or you have a Courtney in your youth ministry and this has been now an ongoing thing for you know a few weeks. She came the first week and it was not a huge deal. You just let it go. The second week, uh, you had a leader talk to them during the message, but they continued to talk. Maybe you called them out. But this is now an ongoing thing that you've noticed with this student and her friends. What are you going to do about it?
0: Yeah, so I think that you know, the first, first step is, is always, um, grace, uh, you know, second step. Is, and, and we kind of, you know, you mentioned a lot of these, but, you know, having a leader, uh, that in, in the moment can, can kind of encourage them to be a little quieter or quiet. Um, you know, I, if it gets to a point where it's necessary, I will, uh, you know, I want to address them off stage. Yep. Uh, first, yep. And then, if I need to address it on stage, I will. Uh, if it is still a problem at that point, the the thing that I turn to at that point is typically parents. Sure. Uh, you know, if if it is a student where I know the parents or at least I have contact information for the parents, uh, I will, um, I will get them you know on the phone and and kind of just explain here's what i'm seeing uh and and i've had that conversation before and it it goes better than you'd think it would sure in in most cases where uh you know parents want to be informed most parents want to be informed uh and you know it, there's been some cases where uh you know that behavior was completely out of line with you know, how they behave elsewhere. And, you know, it was something the parents were able to address. And like, why is it that, you know, you behave like this there and not elsewhere? Well, it's turned out it's because there was a certain friend that influenced that behavior uh, at church where they didn't, you know, because they didn't go to the same school or, you know, whatever. And so that's where I think, um, I I think that parent conversation is, is one that, uh a lot of youth pastors are afraid to have yep uh but if you have i don't think you have to have a firm relationship with the parent sure uh but if you have the contact information for the parent uh you know you can you can have that conversation and if the parent goes to church it should be a pretty easy conversation if the parent does not go to church i think you just attack it from a slightly different angle of Uh, you know, maybe it's, Hey, the, like, we love having Courtney here. Uh, but what she's doing is the behavior she's exhibiting is really disruptive to the people around her. Uh, you know, you don't have to get into a lot of the theological or, you know, this is how you act in church thing, but it's the same thing in school. If you have a kid that's very disruptive to the kids next to you wanting to learn, it makes it difficult for them to learn.
1: How do you, how do you approach that conversation with a parent? Do you say, Hey, you know, I'm, 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 uh, let's say it's someone that you don't know in your church. Cause like if you, if it's someone you know in church, there's a whole different context, whole yeah. different avenue that, that will just feel more natural to you. But let's say you're calling Courtney's parents who you've never actually met, maybe seen them as they drive away and drop off Courtney and her friends or whatever, but you know, Hey, you call them and say, here's, here's what's going on. How do you approach that? Is that something, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm pastor Kyle and just want to call and check in. Is is there something that, you know, that you see, or is it something that you're more pointed? Like, Hey, I just wanted to call and address something that I've been seeing and kind of go about it that way.
0: Yeah. I think that one of the bigger things is uh, just like, Hey, the I'm seeing, some behavior from Courtney on Wednesday nights that, uh, you know, is, is kind of disruptive, uh, and, and concerning. And I just wanted to, you know, connect with you guys and talk about it. Uh, and you know, I, I don't want to blow it out of proportion. Right. Hey, Courtney is, uh, you know, Courtney's doing some stuff on Wednesday nights that I'm super concerned about. It's very disturbing. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, it disturbs those around her. Right. But using the word disturbing might, you know, bring other thoughts into parents' right. minds yep. of like, oh my gosh, what is my kid doing? Uh, and, and so I think that using the right words when describing it to pinpoint the seriousness of it without raising a ton of alarms in the parents' minds is, uh, is a key.
1: Yeah, uh, exactly. It You know, and I think, what I have had in my experience is usually when the parents get involved, behavior is, is resolved one way or another, usually very quickly, either student, you know, shapes up and, and life is good, you know, or, or they're gone. You know, I've, I've also seen that too, where sometimes when you get parents involved, um, you know, we see them for a little bit and then they are not around as much anymore until a little while later. So whichever way it goes on, it's, you know, usually the parent is kind of a, a finality thing. Um, uh, but there's, there's some other things that I've, I've done as well that have been helpful. Uh, you know, just cause it, it is unique
0: before we get into that. Uh, I, I want to just address a, a additional final step. Yeah. Uh, beyond having the conversation with the parent. Uh, and this might be a part of the conversation with the parent, I guess, but I want to encourage youth pastors Mm -hmm. to not be afraid to ask, to, to have a conversation with a student and ask, like, hey, we might need to explore you not coming for a month. Yeah. Uh, you know, asking a student not to come to church is the most counterintuitive thing a youth pastor has ever done. Right. Uh, But when you are a youth pastor, you are responsible for the whole flock. You are not only responsible for Courtney, but you're responsible for every student in that room. And when done properly in love... You can have that conversation without it ruining the entire relationship. That's correct, especially if you bring to Courtney's attention all of the instances in the past where you have attempted to not get to this point. Having the one-on-one conversation, having a conversation with parents. Uh, you know, I I took these different steps because I didn't want to get to this point but your behavior has not changed. Right. And so I need to ask you to not come for four weeks or two weeks, whatever it is. Yep. Uh, Because you need to make sure that the rest of the room is able to focus. And if you do not address that and just allow the problem to remain, At that level, there's going to be a lack of focus, a lack of uh, depth to the room, to the rest of the room, at the detriment of all of the other kids that might want to dive deeper and can't. I think
1: with that, too, you also want to talk about reentry as well. You know, because I've also seen where if this is a problem, it's one of those hey, after four weeks, you can come back, but like, let's have a conversation either before or after you know, service with pastor, like the pastor, yeah. um, just to kind of confirm that everything is good there too, just because yeah, yes, like we're kind of putting them on timeout, but the hope here is that there's like legitimate long-term change, you know? And like, I feel like that accountability of sitting down with the pastoral staff is helpful to do that. And so, you know, I kind of want to take a look into that side of it for a second, because Yes, I feel like every solution we've talked about at this point is just eradicating the problem, right? Like, let's stop the noise. Let's get it taken care of. But like, where I have learned over time is that that, not always, but there are times where that, natural bubbly excitement or passion or whatever, it can be channeled for good things, you know, yeah. it can be something that, you know, they're just a bubbly personality and they just are energetic and, you know, they're engaged in something, it's just the wrong thing right now they're engaged in conversation they're talking to a bunch of people like, in a vacuum that's not a bad thing in the sense of you're in the middle of a church service and you're disrupting everybody else. Okay. That's a problem. So what are some things you can do to redirect that? Something I love to do is get those students involved. You know, like even if you don't know them super, super well, these are the kids that if you know, they're going to be extra energetic, you know, they're going to be extra just wild and bouncing off the walls. This is the kid you want when you're having a game up front, that's high energy grab this kid, right? Like let, let this person get their energy out. Let them just express themselves that way. And that could deescalate some future disruptions as well. Um, another thing, ask them to serve, you know, sometimes a lot of times I've found having kids around their friends really, really, um, contributes to the problem, right? So if you know, like in a vacuum, again, that this kid is pretty respectful to themselves, but they get around their friends and they're like a whole different person. Okay. Well ask them to run the media booth like great. Have them at church, but have them click slides during worship. So that one, they're doing something that keeps their mind productive and kind of brings them away from being disruptive with their friends, you know, and, and get to know them personally. Like, it might be that they're wired because they're at sports or they got something going on. The more you get to know them personally, the better it is. And so what I've actually even done outside getting them involved is sometimes if I know that Courtney has been a problem, Courtney has been super, super loud and crazy, I've actually had a preemptive conversation with Courtney prior to – service where it's like, Hey, like I know last few weeks have been crazy. Um, I'm not trying to sit here and call you out, but just I've noticed that this has been loud. And I know our, some leaders have talked to you, like, just know like we're not upset or anything, but like when we are in service, like we need everybody else around you to be focused as well. And your actions are distracting. And a lot of times that helps as well. But the last thing I would say, honestly, is that has really, really helped me is like it's up to you as the pastor to set the tone and the expectations of the room from the beginning. Yeah, like I've said this in the podcast before, but like culture is something either you create or allow. And so if you allow, you know, this disruption to be a normal thing, any kid who's in there is going to think of this is just okay, you know? And so I've said, you know, coming out of a game where everyone's kind of hyper and talking over the things I've said, Hey, here's the deal, you know? I really believe that what we're about to do right now, like God has something that he wants to say to somebody in this room, probably Mm. to a lot of somebody is in this room. And I get this might not pertain to you. You might not be interested in this, but here's the deal is if you're taking that experience away from somebody else, that's disrespectful to them. And so if you want to disrespect me, fine, I'm okay with that. But don't disrespect those who are around you, who are going through something right now and need them what to say. And a lot of times when I am stern with that and I am like sincere with that, a lot of times I now have their attention for the rest of the night and we have a phenomenal night. So we have to understand that the day and age of pastoral honor is a dying thing. Our grandparents would walk into a church and they were taught from a young age, you revere a pastor, like you respect them as you would any other adult. That's not a thing anymore. Like, just this natural innate respect for people in authority is not a thing anymore. So we have to be intentional about capturing the room, earning the trust of our students, and uh meeting them halfway. Because if we just expect them to just listen to us and respect us, we're gonna be in for a rude awakening.
0: Yeah, that's true. I think that you know unfortunately, uh and 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 I wonder if even COVID had something to do with this where, you know, in schools, in classrooms, right. there's, there's a lot less, um, you know, respect for authority. And I won't get into the political side of this, but I do actually think that, um, some of the policies that some schools have implemented have unfortunately and and not on purpose uh, contributed to that where uh, you know the goal in schools is to not suspend students and and to keep them in school which is a noble goal yep but if a student knows they won't get suspended that is not a deterrent to, not to do the thing that would get them suspended, right? Uh, it's almost an invitation, and so for our for for our students as as youth pastors, I think that you know setting boundaries is important, but also like like it's it's the carrot and the stick. I think schools have you know tried to get away from any negative consequences. And, and only positive reinforcement. And and I think that there are plenty of churches where all it is is consequences and there's no positive reinforcement. And so like Derek said, like finding ways to get students involved in, in different aspects, uh, you know, playing games or, or serving somewhere, whatever it is, there are a lot of ways to encourage students and there are a lot of ways to place boundaries around students. And I think that both are going to be necessary, uh, in order to effectively reach, you know, the kids that we call the kids in the back.
1: Yeah, completely. Uh, you know, and I don't have a ton more on this because again, a lot of these, unfortunately there is a degree of uniqueness to each of these situations. You know, the the, the kid in the back might be one kid. It might be a certain group and you might have to address the group. Um, it might be uh, there's a, an acting out of a student because of something that's happening at home and you have to handle that differently because it is more unique and you can have a little more empathy for it too. So yeah, I mean, it's, these are, what I think we're going with this is that these are just general principles. And, and the idea is you have to ride this line between, as Kyle said, protecting the flock and making sure that little Courtney, who's one student, is not impacting the other 40 students in the room by her disruptive nature, but also understanding Courtney might have a really tough situation outside of these four walls, and we want to retain her, make her feel welcomed and appreciated. And
0: there might be, you know, I want to circle back to, like, the goal, if, if, if Courtney needs to take a couple Wednesday nights off, uh, you know, have, have an alternative like, Hey uh, you know, this wouldn't necessarily work for our current analogy with being a male youth pastor. But you know, if it's a male student, like, Hey, we might need to take a break from Wednesday nights, but let me take you to breakfast every Wednesday morning uh, or, or work something out with the parents where, cause the parents are going to need to be on board with this too. Because if you say to the kid, you need to not come for four weeks and, and the parents, drops them off. they keep dropping them off. That's a problem. Uh, but if you work it out where like, Hey, instead of him coming on Wednesday nights, I want to, you know, grab breakfast with him every Saturday morning or, you know, whatever it is, uh, you know, I'll pick him up, you know, for four weeks, instead of coming to youth on Wednesday, I'll pick him up after school Tuesday. We'll go get ice cream and just chat about life. Yeah. And it's still investing into that completely. Yeah. It just looks a little bit different.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's such a good segue into what I want to finish with this is is the current model of youth ministry working, right? And what I mean by that, the current model of youth ministry, every youth ministry is different, but by and large, here's what we can probably expect happens at 95% of youth ministries around the country. One, you're going to walk in and there's probably going to be some form of activity to some degree, whether that's a game, whether that's just like some free time. People are playing nine square or basketball or a Gaga ball or whatever it is. There's going to be some form of activity. You can also pretty much confidently assume there's going to be some level of worship. For example, what I mean by that is, you know, Riley is something that I've been so proud of him Is he's kind of ushered in like, Hey, we're going to do live worship on Wednesday nights. That was something I could never actually tie down in a, my tenure in my youth ministry uh, in terms of live worship band leading kids in worship. Now, where I circle back, though, is we always had a worship response time where I had worship music on a screen that was played from YouTube or something of that nature. So there's a level of worship there. But probably the most universal thing to every single youth ministry across United States of America is there's going to be a youth pastor or a youth leader or a parent, but somebody is going to be preaching a message. That's pretty universal. My question is, is it working? And I would say on some level, yes. Like they're hearing biblical truth. They're hearing biblical stories Hopefully, we hope that they are being done well and contextualized properly and not cherry-picking verses so it's actually getting to the heart of the passage. They're receiving direction and guidance. They are kind of getting into this foundational concept of here's what it's like to attend church and be a part of a church body. All of those things are great. But are things changing? I would also say yes. Yes. You know, like, I don't know about you, Kyle, but I'm sensing the attention span of teenagers as short as it was when we were kids, I think has gotten even shorter. You know, like there's technology, there's, it, it, it's harder to capture attention of, of certain students. The very draws that used to be there for students are changing. It used to be a, hey, we're giving away an Apple watch. We're giving away an Xbox. You'd have kids flock in by the hundreds now it's kind of like, eh, maybe I'll swing by. Maybe I'll, like, there's there's less of that. And so where I'm going with this is, does it still work for us to invite kids into our youth ministries and preach at them for 15, 20, 30 minutes? I want to get your perspective before we go any farther.
0: Yeah, I think that the sermons need to be closer to 45 or 50 minutes. I um, know <laughs> Yeah. Minimum, uh, hour and a half is better. Uh, you know, one of the ways that the men's ministry can start volunteering is being the bodyguards. Don't let kids out of the room right? Uh, early or to go to the bathroom or anything like you you'll discuss hold it. at
1: least five chapters in um, a monotone
0: voice. <laughs> so here's, I, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, I, the, the attention span thing is real. All right. Uh, I, I believe that in 2006, the average uh, attention span of a teenager was like two minutes and some seconds, uh, which is still not a half hour, by the way. Uh, and today, the average attention span is like 47 seconds or something like wow. that. Uh, it's, it's ridiculously small. I... I think that, uh, you know, because of that, like I, I try my best to have my sermon sermons for sure. South of 30, uh, preferably closer to 20, um, at the same time, I agree that the giveaways are kind of, they, they kind of had their day as as the draw for students and I don't think that that works long term um but I honestly believe that the focus of our Wednesday nights just straight up needs to be the presence of God. Oh yeah. Totally. Um unashamedly you know if if we are going to Cut out something, and this is this is top five most controversial things I've ever said on a youth ministry podcast. If we are going to cut something out of our youth nights, I would love for it to be the games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I still we still do games in our youth ministry, maybe once every four to six weeks. Um, but I. Like we we incorporate I mean we call them connect groups, but small groups, cell groups, community groups groups, groups, whatever you want to call it like every church has a different name um, we incorporate those on Wednesday nights and and give students an opportunity to build relationships with each other. uh It also takes up twenty to thirty minutes of our Wednesday night mm-hmm. sweet. Like instead of preaching for 45 minutes, I'll preach for 20 and do that for 25 minutes. There's your 45 done nailed it. Uh, I, I think that that is where, um, that's where our focus needs to be. And you know, we talked about, I think we might've talked about this in the evangelism episode, but I think it's okay if the kids in the back aren't ready to be the kids in the back, yeah. I I think it's okay to not yet have that expectation of them. Have other means of discipleship and and pouring into those kids' lives, but if they don't come on Wednesday nights yet, that's okay. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and that's where I kind of want to to kind of throw a caveat in here, you know, I'm not saying that the local church needs to become an Acts 2 model, you know, where we need to get rid of all of our buildings and just do a bunch <laughs> of house churches. Cause like you do have people who will ascribe to that theory. Like the modern church is busted and broken. And I just, I don't, I'm not willing to ascribe to that theory. Uh, but what I would say is, you know, when I look back, you know, what's really cool for me now is Um, I have a, I, there's like 15 or 20 seniors in our youth ministry this year that are graduating. Um, you know, that, that were sixth and seventh graders when I first jumped in. And so to see their development emotionally and spiritually over the last six years has really kind of showed me over a long-term period, what was really fruitful and what wasn't. And when I look back at, you know, what, what went into this, I think there are a few, you know, sermons that, that they would grab, hold on to. And say. I remember this sermon specifically because it was good, but what, what really I would say are the pillars for them are the mission teams we went on. You know, I can look back on this mission team at this place was when student went from a seven to a 10, you know, it was like being on a mission team, serving, preaching the gospel, being in fellowship with other people. That was something that they really, really appreciated. The other thing was fellowship, you know, like they remember going out to get Chick-fil-A after a youth, a youth night. They remember like having, you know, a bunch of food at my house and hanging out and playing games. They remember that and the laughs they had together. They remember those conversations in connect groups. They remember, you know, the moments when like we would teach versus preach, you know, it was so cool to have a bunch of those students in my living room a couple weeks ago And just something that one of our students said is, you know, one thing that they remember was just something I said in passing. It's something I said all the time, like in small groups or in teachings, it wasn't something I preached on necessarily, but it was just a a foundational concept I live by, but because they hung out around me, they knew that was my thing. And so I've said this so much, but like so much of students is some things that they catch and not that we teach them caught, not taught, you know, like they might not remember our sermons, but they remember walking in on on us in the sanctuary, praying for them. They remember, you know, these different things that, that happen over the course of the year. And so where I'm going with this is we need to stick to our, our structure, but also like, don't, don't forget to build margin into your schedule for very intentional, missional minded things. Like, I understand organization or organizing a mission team is not an easy task. You of all people, Kyle, would understand that it's lengthy, it's long, it can be frustrating trying to get paperwork and all the other stuff that goes into it. But like mark our words, that week of their life is probably gonna be foundational for them. So get them on a mission team. Like build time into your schedule to bring them to your apartment, bring them to your house, host an event at church. Like don't spend all of your time preparing a great message. I thought that's great, but create time for them to have a dialogue with you and to get to know them too. Um, and so that's just, that's where I'm going with all of this is one of the ways to eradicate the kids in the back are to like be so invested into the kids that when they walk into your youth ministry, they're already to, to go after God.
0: Yeah. I think that, you know, this is, this is going to be kind of a piece for, uh, youth pastors that are in larger settings, uh, which is not normally something that we do, but not because we don't like them, but just because they're not as cool as us. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's rarer to have advice specifically for that demographic. Sure. But for, for, pastors probably with youth ministries north of 50 kids. Um your like you cannot know every single kid really well and that's what your youth leaders are for. Yep. But your job is to pursue the kids on the far extremes. Sure. Um because on the one end, you know, you have students that want to go deeper and and they want more and and their maturity is very high. And you need to invest in those students beyond what your volunteer youth leader has the capacity to do. At the same time, you know, you want your adult leaders Pursuing and investing the kids in the middle, yep, and then you go after the stragglers, uh, you know, on on the backside. You you're investing and pursuing the kids that are up front and and want to run ahead, and you want to invest in the kids that that are you know maybe a couple steps behind. It's so good, uh, and and let your adult leaders, uh, you know, carry the weight of the kids in the middle.
1: Yeah. Dude. I love that. I think that's phenomenal. Fin- I don't drop the mic. I mean, that that really is done that. That is where it is. Cause it's the temptation is like, there are certain students like that you do like, I mean, you, you can't say you don't have yeah. favorites, you know? And so it's easy to, we listen, we as youth
0: pastors have
1: favorites. Yeah. And we're and not ashamed of it. You'll
0: never know who they are. No.
1: And they might even change. From
0: Until after they graduate.
1: <laughs> But it's easy for those students to, it sounds harsh, but monopolize your time, right? Because you just genuinely love hanging out with them. You love getting to, you know, hug them and hang out with them when they walk in the door and and chat with them. And it's easy to just get sucked into it because they are so great. And not that you don't need to do that, but it's a lot less easy to go and hang out with that kid who doesn't want to talk to you at all. Like, hey, how are you? Good. How was school today? fine cool what else is new Mm, Mm. I don't know you know like that's a lot less easy than talking to that kid that is awesome you know and not that that other kids not but you know my point like I, I love that that is your job though your job is to go after the extremes and the reality is that your leaders will compensate for the middle dude that is that's
0: phenomenal anything else that's it. All right. Drop the mic. That does it for today's episode. Uh, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. If you ever have questions or a thought that you think would make a great episode, uh, you can reach out to us. How not to be a youth pastor at gmail.com. Uh, And we would love to uh, Love to start the dialogue But uh, on behalf of Derek We thank you guys so much And I am going to uh, go reach out To a student and see if they want to chat But really it's just an excuse for me To get some ice cream Goodbye. Goodbye